reasons for my heart to find. Other times we come together and we're singing and our, our songs are just sweet thanksgiving. Maybe you're aware of your own sin and your own failure and your heart just wells up with gratitude as we sing. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Sometimes singing is a source of comfort. You had a rough week, you're, you're suffering, and the, and the songs are just like a, a salve to your soul. As you sing, you're, you're with us in the fire and the flood. I think generally those are all welcome experiences of singing. Even in good days and bad days, those are singing that we want. Sometimes singing isn't quite like that. Sometimes singing is wrestling. You know, I'm singing streams of mercy never ceasing. But in my heart, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure God's mercy to me stopped like three weeks ago. Or I'm singing, your plans are still to prosper. And I look at my life and I'm like, yeah, prosper. Okay. And, and frankly, sometimes singing is a fight. And, and what I mean by that is sometimes as we're singing songs of praise, songs of biblical truth in our hearts, you know, I, I know I don't really believe this. But I am determined I am going to get this truth in my heart until I do. I know I don't feel this reality. But I am going to sing and get this truth in my mouth. Get this truth in my heart. And try to convince myself that it's true. Even though I don't think I believe it right now. Even in the waiting. I will cling to the promises of God. And that's what Psalm 13 is. David is in a time of painful longing. And he sings. And not only does David sing. David gives this song to the choir master so that the people of God can sing this song. So that David, as a worship leader, can invite his fellow strugglers, come sing this song with me. He, he meets us in our struggle and then leads us on a journey to a place of hope. The main thing I want us to get from Psalm 13 today is this. Cling to God's promises even while you're waiting for him to keep them. Cling to God's promises, even when you are still waiting for him to keep them. The psalm comes to us in three movements. And in the first one, in verses 1 and 2, we see David's longing. Longing in verses 1 and 2. David is waiting 
really the first words of Psalm 13 describe this tone. How long, O Lord? He's longing. And there's three aspects of his longing that he identifies. First, that he is disappointed with God. We see this in verse 1. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David is in a time of spiritual drought. He feels as though God has forgotten him. He's wondering if God is ever going to remember him. How long is it going to be, God, until you remember me? Until you remember the promises that you made to me? Until you remember what you said you would do? He feels forgotten. He also feels as though God has hidden his face from him. He's asking, how long is it going to be until you shine your face on me again? How long is it going to be until you show me favor again? Until I experience your grace and your peace again? He's in this long reality of pain that doesn't match the expectations he had based on God's promises. And so he says, how long, O Lord? Second aspect of his longing is that he's distressed in his heart. Look at the first part of verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? As he describes his longing, he describes this having taken counsel in his soul. Uh, he, he's trying to be his own counselor. He's trying to solve his problem for himself. He's trying to answer his own problems. He's thinking through all the what-ifs. He's got a flurry of thoughts. He's anxious. He's distressed. But not only is he experiencing having to take counsel in his soul in this worry He's also saying he has sorrow in his heart all the day. He's not just anxious. He's depressed. He's experiencing long sorrow all day. And he's wondering, when will this sorrow go away? He's in this long time of waiting. And the longer the waiting the more time he has to fill with a flurry of anxious thoughts and sorrow upon sorrow. In his longing, he's disappointed with God. He's distressed in his heart. And third, he's discouraged by his enemy. Look at the last line of verse 2. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? As David is sinking deeper and deeper into his distress, as he's sinking deeper and deeper into his disappointments, the enemy is exalted looking down on this poor, pitiful, shrunken, despairing man. We don't know who this enemy is. Could be a literal human enemy. 
It could be that the enemy here is kind of personified, that it might be the, the forces of evil and sin around him. It might be that the enemy here is even sickness or death. But in any case, David sees his enemy, and it looks like the enemy is winning. He's experiencing this long time of the enemy having the upper hand. As we look at David's longing, if you are longing for God to come through, first of all, just know you are not alone. You are not alone. Do you hear what God has written in this Bible? I I, I can't get over the fact that the Holy Spirit carried along David to write down the words, how long, O Lord? Aren't you glad that God has given you this in your Bible to know that you're not abnormal? Maybe you've prayed that prayer, how long, O Lord? Maybe you've prayed a prayer of disappointment with God or spiritual drought. God, have you, have you forgotten me? Have you turned your back on me? How long is it going to be till I feel joy again? How long is it going to be till I feel God near again? Maybe you've prayed a prayer of inner distress. God, how, how long is it going to be before I feel peace in my heart again? How many sleepless nights am I going to have to endure through? When am I going to feel like getting out of bed again? Maybe you've prayed a prayer of discouragement over your enemy. How long is cancer going to control my life? How long am I going to have to endure the sin of a loved one? How long will the world win my child's heart? This is God's word for you. If you know that longing, if you know that disappointment, that distress, that discouragement, this is God's word for you. Aren't you glad God doesn't look at you in that situation and give you the words, what is wrong with you? Get with the program. If you were a real Christian, you would never think those thoughts. No. Instead, the Holy Spirit carries along David to write, How long, O Lord? You're not alone in your longing. David comes as our friend, and he says, Listen, brother, sister, I am right there with you. But he doesn't just stay there with us. He grabs us by the hand, and he says, Now come. Let me show you where we can go from here. And that leads us to the second movement of Psalm 13, asking. David moves in verses 1 and 2 from questioning God to verses 3 and 4, requesting 
of God. We see him asking in verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, he has three requests. Three requests. Look at verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So he has three requests here. First, consider. God, consider. It feels as though God has hidden his face. And so David says, look, see, consider me. He wants to be seen in the same way that God saw Israel. He told Moses in Exodus 3, I have seen my people Israel and their slavery, and I'm going to bring them salvation. Seeing, considering is the first step in God's process of salvation. Seeing, considering the distress the need for salvation. But David doesn't just want God to consider him. He says, consider and answer. He doesn't just want to be, he doesn't just want God to be made aware of his suffering. He wants him to do something about it. He wants him to respond. And what is his response that he wants? Well, that's his third request. He asked God to light up his eyes. Uh, This is a, a term that we can find elsewhere in Scripture. And it describes the kind of relief that a person experiences that you can see on their face. They're relieved and so their eyes light up. So you might remember in 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan is weary after a long battle and he eats a little bit of honey. And the text says it, his, uh, his face lit up, his eyes lit up. That's the kind of picture that David has here in Psalm 13. He's asking God for relief from his suffering such that you could see it on his face. He wants God to light up his eyes. But he gives these three requests in verse 3, and he pairs those three requests with three reasons. He grounds his requests in three reasons, and you can see those three reasons with the word lest. So back in verse 3, the last line there, he says, Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Uh, The first reason that he makes these requests is he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to die. And it might be that, again, a literal human enemy was trying to take his life. David would be no stranger to that. Or it might be that he is just experiencing such suffering that he thinks, if I go on like this, I am just going to wither away. In any case, David feels the threat of death breathing down his neck. The second reason he gives is that he doesn't want his enemy to think that he can claim victory over David. Look at the first part of verse 4. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. If God does not grant the relief that David is asking for, David fears that his enemy is going to take credit for David's demise. He doesn't want his enemy to think that he can claim victory over David. And then he gives a third reason. It's he doesn't want his enemy to take pleasure in his demise. Look at the second line of verse 4. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David Fears that if he perishes, his enemy is going to celebrate. And that's not just a problem because of the enemy's opinion of David. 
remember who David is. David is God's anointed king. He is called God's son. David is not just concerned with his enemy's opinion of himself, his enemy's opinion of David. The reputation of Yahweh is on the line. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 7 and verse 8. What we're going to see is that David's requests and his reasons are grounded in God's promise. And so as he is asking, he is not just saying, here's this thing I don't like, fix it. He is saying, God, you made this promise. Do this or you haven't kept your promise. Look at 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. So this is the Lord speaking to Nathan the prophet. This is God's word to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house We'll pause there. But do you see how God made these promises to David? Do you see how God set this expectation for how things were to be? David is the leader of God's people, the the, the representative of God's people. And God says, I'm going to give you rest from all your enemies. And David says, how long, O Lord? Consider that my reality doesn't match this expectation. Answer me when I'm asking you, when is this going to come true? Don't let me sleep the sleep of death when you said that the rest I would experience was rest for my enemies. God, come through for me and keep your promises. This is what David is asking. And what I think we can see in David's asking is this. Here's the key. David's prayer was more about getting his will in line with God's will than it was about getting God's will in line with his will. David's prayer was more about getting his will in line with God's will than it was about trying to manipulate God's will to conform to his will. So as David takes us along in this journey from longing to hope, the next step of that journey is this. In your longing, pray. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. But it's not just that we should pray. We should pray and let God use that prayer to bring our heart to cling to his promises. 
to bring our will more in line with his will. Isn't this how Jesus taught us to pray? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus taught us to pray in a way that would align our hearts, our will, with God's will. He taught us to pray in a way that aligned with his promises. Look with me at Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. You probably know this passage. You didn't have to turn there, but I want you to see it with your eyes. Matthew 6, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. In your disappointment, in your discouragement, in your distress, ask God to be glorified. Hallowed be your name. And let that request shape what outcome your heart really wants to see out of your situation. In your disappointment, in your distress, in your discouragement, ask God's kingdom to be advanced. And let that change your perspective on what God is up to in the world. Ask God's will to be done instead of only asking for what you want. Ask God to provide what you need, not necessarily just what you would prefer. Ask God to forgive you of your sins, lest your suffering blind you to some sin that's going on. And ask God to protect you from temptation and from your enemy, lest your suffering be an excuse to sin. Pray according to God's promises and let God use that to bring your heart more in line with his will, even in your disappointment and distress and discouragement. Ask God to do the things that he's promised he wants to do and watch him shape your heart and your desires and your will in your Asking. We've seen two movements of Psalm 13. Longing. Asking. And then finally, praising. Turn back with me to Psalm 13. Let's see this. David makes what may seem like a surprising turn in verse 5. Look at Psalm 13, 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That term, but I, is emphatically placed at the beginning of verse 5. Do you hear the determination, the fight in those two words? 
I am distressed and discouraged and disappointed. I'm saying, how long, O Lord? I am longing. I'm waiting. But I, but I will remind myself of what is true. But I will set my heart on the Lord. But I, as David is tossed by the waves of discouragement and disappointment and distress and suffering in him, out of him, even before God. The waves pummel him and he knows he needs to anchor his soul in rock solid truth. Watch what he does. He anchors his soul in three ways. First, he trusts in the love of God. He trusts in the love of God. This term it is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. This is Yahweh's faithfulness to keep his covenant. David is determined to remember that God is determined to love him. That he has made a promise and he will be faithful to keep it. David trusts that God will be faithful to keep his promise. Second, he rejoices in the salvation of God. He says, I will rejoice in your salvation. Now, what kind of salvation does David need? Well, he needs a, a full salvation. And we need to understand in Scripture, God's salvation is not one tiny little narrow thing because the fall and the curse that is the result of sin is not one tiny little thing. It is an infection that has corrupted all of creation, all of our life, all of our heart. And so God's salvation, as the great hymn sing, uh, at the, the great uh, Christmas song is when we normally sing it, but really it's about the second coming. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. David needs full salvation. And, and what's particularly in view in Psalm 13 is he needs to be saved from this sense of abandonment by God, his separation from God. He needs to be saved from the turmoil that is plaguing his soul. He needs to be saved from this enemy that is seeking to devour him. That's the salvation he needs and it's the salvation he is rejoicing in. Now catch that. Has God saved David in that sense yet? No. David rejoices in salvation that is yet to come. He looks forward and he says, I have trusted in God's steadfast love. I am trusting in his promise-keeping love. And I trust his promise-keeping love so much that I am rejoicing in the salvation he has promised that I don't taste yet. He rejoices in the salvation of God that is yet to come. And then third, he sings because of the generosity of God. Look at verse 6. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the waiting, David sings. In the discouragement, David sings. In the disappointment, David sings. In the distress, David sings. Why? Because of God's outrageous generosity to him. David is not just 
looking forward to the relief. He's not just looking forward to the salvation that is coming. He is looking back and saying, look at how good God has already been to me. Look at his grace. Look at his generosity. God's overabundant blessings to David are such that he can still sing of God's provision even as he is longing for God to provide. He can still sing of what God has given him even as he is longing in his need. And in our longing, we can praise too. In our longing, we can praise. We can trust in God's promise-keeping love. We can take God's word to the bank and know that his steadfast love endures forever. We can rejoice in the salvation that is yet to come. We can rejoice in the salvation that will relieve our Psalm 13 longing. We can rejoice in the day that our Savior will come and we will no longer say, how long will you hide your face from me? Because we will see his face. We can long for the day that we will no longer have sorrow in our hearts because he will wipe away every tear from every eye and there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore because the former things have passed away. We can rejoice in the salvation that will come when no longer will the enemy be exalted over us because we will dwell in a city free from the devil, free from sin, free from anything accursed. In the longing, no, disappointment is not forever. Distress is not forever. Discouragement is not forever. If you have repented and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord will make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord will lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So you can say, even in the longing, but I have trusted in the steadfast love of the Lord. My heart shall rejoice in his salvation. And even as we wait for that day, that future salvation and that future relief, just like David, we can look back and praise God for his overabundant generosity to us that he has already shown us in Christ. In fact, we can praise God for his dealing bountifully with us in a way that David could only dream of. Hebrews 11:13 describes David as one of many who died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. But we can look back on this side of the cross and see the overabundant goodness and grace of God, the way he has already dealt bountifully toward us in Christ. 
We can look back and see the son of David, God's anointed king, Jesus, who did sleep the sleep of death. But when he did, the enemy did not say, I have prevailed over him. When Jesus slept the sleep of death, his foes did not rejoice over them. Because in Jesus' death, he destroyed the one who has the power over death. Jesus was victorious even in his death. And we can look back to the cross and see the bounty that he purchased for us by his blood. Just listen to this. If you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, if you belong to him, if you've been united to him by faith, this is what is true for you in Christ. You are free from God's wrath. You are free from death. You are forgiven of sin. He has made you the righteousness of God. You are free from the burden of the law. You are reconciled to God. You have an advocate before God. You are loved by God. You are preserved by God. You are free from the slavery to sin. You are free to live for Christ. You have been given good works that God prepared for you to walk in. You have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance, and you have been given eternal life. And that is just scratching the surface. I didn't even mention anything that's in the future. That's all already yours in Christ if you know him. That is a God who has dealt bountifully with us. That is a God we can sing to with praise even in the darkness of longing. A God who has been so generous to us even as we groan in our need in the longing when God feels distant when the blessings seem to have dried up when you're riddled with anxiety and the sorrow won't stop when sin seems to dominate and the darkness won't lift look to the cross and see God's love displayed say but I will sing to the Lord for he has dealt bountifully with me. If he has been faithful to keep his promises in the past, I know he will keep his promises in the future. Cling to the promises of God even while you're waiting for him to keep them. So when you don't feel like singing a song of celebration, keep singing. When you struggle to sing a song of thanksgiving, fight to sing. When you can't seem to be comforted, fight to sing. Like David, sing your longing, sing your asking, and sing your praising. Fight to anchor your soul in the faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine 
with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Father, thank you for your word to us in Psalm 13. Thank you that we can sing our longing to you. Thank you that we can sing our asking of you. Thank you that we can sing our praising even as we wait, even in our discouragement and distress and disappointment. Thank you for the cross that reminds us of the bounty you have given us in Christ even as we wait for the salvation you will bring, even as we pray, come Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together and respond to the word of God as we sing our praise. sorrows deep I call when my hope is shaken torn and ruined from the fall hear my desperation for so long I pled and prayed God come to my rescue even so the thorn remains my heart will praise you. Storms within my troubled soul, questions without answers. On my faith these billows roll. God be now my shelter. Why are you cast down my soul? Hope in him who saves you. When the fires have all grown cold, calls his heart to praise you. Should my life be torn from me 
every worldly pleasure when all i possess is green god be then my treasure be my vision in the night be my hope and refuge till my faith is turned to sight lord my heart will pray 